Hi, my name is Jeff Redding. I'm a preaching elder here at Walton Community Church in Monroe, Georgia. Before we begin the sermon, our church would like to invite you to join us as we gather every Sunday morning for worship at 10 a.m. You can learn more about our church on our website at waltoncommunitychurch.org. Thanks for listening. I'll tell you, when I was listening to the music and the trumpets and I was just enjoying the songs, it occurred to me at a moment, I thought, what am I preaching on this morning? That's not good when you don't have very many notes. So if you have your Bibles, turn with me. It came to me. But if you have your Bibles, turn with me to Colossians chapter 3. Um, we are continuing in our series through the book of Colossians. And we're in chapter 3. And what we're going to do this morning is cover uh, verses 1 through 4. Um, in this section, in, in, I'm, what I'm going to do in just a little bit, I'm going to read verses 1 to 17. I want us to look at the whole section each week. But um, in the book of Colossians, Paul is, is what he normally does. He is transitioning from doctrine and theology over to uh, practical teaching. And, and doctrine and theology, and then he's transitioning to how we behave, to, to our lives. And so this is the way that Paul usually does this in the book of Romans. If you know the book of Romans, the first 11 chapters are doctrine, theology. And then in, verse, in chapter 12, he transitions to how a Christian should live his life. So this is what Paul does in, uh, in Colossians chapter 3. Um, one of the things that I want us to think about this morning, and this is the, the main theme, is uh, about how we can change. How we can change. And what I've learned through the years is that people want to change. People want to change. They want to get better. They want to improve themselves. Um, the, there, if you've ever been to a self-help section of a bookstore or a self-help section of a library, if you go on Amazon, there's a huge self-help section. What I've learned is that the self-help books and, and conferences and everything, it is a $10 billion a year industry. $10 billion, with a B, billion-dollar-a-year industry. So thousands of these books are published every single year. And they're usually titles like this. And they offer talk about rules and laws to change your life, like 12 Rules for Life, or the 10X Rule, or 77 Ways to Get Motivated, or the 21 Irrefutable Laws of This, or the 15 Invaluable Laws of This. There are all these things about how we can improve, and how you, if you do these things, then, then change will come about. And so I'm, I'm, I'm trying to combat this, but I'll tell you, I'm naturally a cynic. I talked about last week when I hear some, you know, extravagant claim, my tendency is to roll my eyes. Um, so I'm trying to come over that, but, but when I think about the fact that the self-help industry has thousands and thousands of books published every year, my thought is, if any of them actually worked, would they continue to need thousands and thousands of more books published? And the self-help industry will, I think the honest ones will tell you, no, really these things do not produce lasting change. They don't. They may, they may tweak the edges a little bit. You may get a little bit of change here and there. But, uh, but for fundamental deep change, following these steps or these simple rules or whatever just does not produce fundamental change. And I, I talked about this last week. And this is, what the, this, this is what the book of Colossians is talking about. When Paul's talking about the end of chapter 2 is what we discussed last week. The, the false teachers were saying that to reach this level of Christianity or to overcome this sin or to reach new heights, you need to follow these specific rules or do these specific practices and things. 
And I mentioned this last week, how there are always new programs and speakers and books and everything that are touted as the latest, greatest thing. And let me clarify something, because I may have confused you. I went through a whole list of things last week, and some of them have been helpful and some of them are not. Uh, I didn't distinguish them. But my concern, whenever I hear about the latest author or the latest book or the latest conference or the latest program or Bible study or whatever, my concern is that that thing is seen as absolutely necessary for the Christian life. Well, if it were necessary for the Christian life, then that means you couldn't live as a Christian before that thing was published. You see what I'm saying? Or that a specific teacher is exalted to the point where we listen to every single thing he says and we won't listen to anybody else. I just think that's unhelpful. It almost makes teachers and programs into idols. And that's my concern. And I think sometimes we can get so enthusiastic about certain things that we end up uh, almost idolizing them or, or just uh, relying on them so much that the focus, and this is the problem, the focus of these things often gets away from Jesus. The focus often gets away from Jesus Christ. And so a program that uh, a, a brother reminded me, I didn't mention this one, of Promise Keepers. I don't know if y'all remember Promise Keepers. It was touted as this amazing thing. Well, I think that there were parts of Promise Keepers that were wonderful. I had a friend that came to faith in Jesus through a Promise Keepers conference. So, so some, certain things are wonderful, but they're only wonderful to the extent they point people to Christ. And they make, they make people more dependent on Christ. But oftentimes, like with the Promise Keepers thing, what it ends up doing is the focus becomes a men's program within a church or a men's ministry within the church, and the focus becomes this. Or, or a group or a conference is, is focused on theological accuracy. Well, then the focus just becomes on how accurate we are in our theology, and it sometimes just gets away from Jesus Christ. And that's my concern is always, I want us always to be more dependent on Jesus. And that's what you find in the book of Colossians when Paul is talking about these false teachers who are pointing people away from Christ. And there's always a tendency to do that. There's always a tendency to leave or get away from Jesus. And I want us to to be totally focused and dependent on him. Okay, so rules, this is the problem. There's nothing wrong with rules and laws. In fact, our our corporate reading from Deuteronomy was talking about following rules and laws. Rules and laws are necessary. God gives us rules and laws in his word. But the only way that we have the power to follow God's rule and to grow in personal holiness, to really change, is through our union with Jesus Christ, through the power of the Holy Spirit. That's the the source of power for us to to change, is through God, through Christ. Okay, so that's why I wanted to, to clarify. So the question then is this, when we see people talking about change and wanting to change all the time, um, is change really possible? I don't know if you've ever, sometimes you'll hear about a young lady marrying a guy and she'll say, well, yeah, he's this and this and these are the problems, but I'm going to change him. I'm going to change him. And a mature person will say, no, you're not going to change him. Okay, you're not. You're not going to be able to do that. So is change really possible? That's, that's a good question. Well, it is possible. Change really is possible. In fact, for the Christian, believers will change. But the way, again, that we change is through our union with Jesus Christ. Okay? Our, our growth in Him. All right. So let's go to chapter 3. Uh, Paul tells us how to change in this section. And my, really, my prayer is 
that this is going to be helpful, that it's really going to be transformative in understanding our dependence on Jesus to leading to growth and holiness. The big word is sanctification, okay? So let's read verses 1 to 17 in Colossians 3. And this, as I said this morning, we're going to focus on uh, verses 1 to 4. All right, Colossians 3, 1 to 17. If then you have been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things that are above, not on things that are on earth. For you have died, and your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. Put to death, therefore, what is earthly in you, sexual immorality, impurity, passion, evil desire, and covetousness, which is idolatry. On account of these, the wrath of God is coming. In these you too once walked when you were living in them, But now you must put them all away, anger, wrath, malice, slander, and obscene talk from your mouth. Do not lie to one another, seeing that you have put off the old self with its practices and have put on the new self, which is being renewed in knowledge after the image of its creator. Here there is no Greek, not Greek and Jew, circumcised and uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave, free, but Christ is all and in all. Put on, then, as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience, bearing with one another, and, if one has a complaint against another, forgiving each other, as the Lord has forgiven you, so you also must forgive. And above all these, put on love, which binds them together in perfect harmony, and let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, to which, indeed, you were called in one body, and be thankful. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your hearts to God. And whatever you do in word and deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. Okay? So in this passage, Paul is going to talk about uh, killing sin, growing in holiness, growing in righteousness, and, and he's going to talk about, in other words, how to change as a believer. Now, there are three parts to, the, as I said, the big word in growing holiness is sanctification. There are really three parts, and Paul talks about these in here. The first is a putting off of sin, a putting off or a killing of sin. The old-timers, Puritans, talked about mortification of sin. So mortify is to kill. So there's a putting off, a put to death. Look at verse 5. Look what Paul says in verse 5. Put to death, therefore, what is earthly in you. And he goes, begins a list. Sexual morality, impurity, and so on. Put to death. So this is killing sin, mortification of sin. Uh, if you look in verse 8, Paul says, Now you must put them all away. Anger, wrath, malice, and so on. So this is a putting off. Verse 9, uh, Paul says, Seeing that you have put off the old self. You have taken off the old self. So part of growing in in holiness is a putting off or a killing of sin, all right? That's the first part. The second part is a putting on, a putting on of virtue and goodness. Look at, uh, this is also called vivification, the big word. Vivification means bring to life. If you look in verse 10, Paul says, and you have put on the new self. So a putting on. Verse 12, he says, Put on, then, as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, and so on. So putting on. 
So this is a putting off, a killing, and it's also a putting on, a bringing to life, vivification. And third, and this is what we're going to talk about this morning. Next week we'll talk about the putting off. In two weeks we'll talk about the putting on. This morning, though, and it underlines a lot of this, and Paul stresses it in the first four verses, is the source of power to do these things. How do you do these things? It's easy to talk about killing sin, and it's easy to talk about putting on virtue, but how do you have the power to do that? Okay? And here's what it is. If you look in verses 1 and 2, Paul says, Seek the things that are above. Seek the things that are above. Verse 2, set your minds on things that are above. Okay? That's what we're going to talk about this morning. This is the power the, the, from God, the power to do the putting off and the putting on and growing in holiness. All right. Now, this is so important. You will not overcome sin by willpower. Okay? You will not be able to overcome sin by willpower. You will not be able to overcome sin by saying no. You will not be able to overcome sin by saying no or trying to just do good things, to try to be a good person. You're not going to be able to overcome sin by doing these things. You have to put off sin, put on sin through the power of God in our union with Jesus Christ. Okay? Um, I'm going to give you just very quickly, turn with me to, to a few... Uh, pages to the left to Philippians chapter 2. Go to the few pages to the left, Philippians chapter 2, and we're going to look at verse 12. And this is the classic text on um, talking about how sanctification or growing in holiness is what is called a synergistic work, okay? Synergistic is the the erg in there means work, like erg is a unit of work, or the word energy, E-R-G. So a synergistic word, S-Y-N, means working together, okay? So the way that we grow in holiness is not just God, and it's not just us. The tendency is for us to think it's just us. If I do these things, then I'm going to grow in holiness. I'm going to be able to kill sin. But it's God working and us working as well. And so you see this is the classic passage from Philippians chapter 2 talking about how sanctification is a synergistic work. It's us working and God working. Look at Philippians 2 verses 12 and 13. Paul writes, Therefore, my beloved, as you have always obeyed, so now, not only as in my presence, but much more in my absence, and here it is, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. Work out your own salvation. Paul's talking about growing in holiness here. Working out your salvation with fear and trembling. In other words, you got to work. Is it just you working, though? No. Look at the next verse. Verse 13. For it is God who works in you, both to will and to work for his good pleasure. So we're commanded to work in growing in, in holiness. How do we do that? Because it is God working in us. So it's not just... Uh, let go and let God do nothing, and then he's going to change me. That's not what the Bible teaches. We're commanded right here to work. But it's also not a legalistic thing apart from Christ where we're just to work with no dependence on Jesus. No, the only way that we can grow in our working is God working in us. So this is this synergistic work, us working and God growing and working us within. Okay? 
All right, so sanctification is synergistic. The only way that we can have power to overcome sin is to have God's power working in us. Okay, and you see that flip back to Colossians again. And I've looked at, we've looked at this verse a number of times. Colossians 2, look at verse 6 and 7. The way that we grow in holiness and the way that we have God's power working in us is with our union with Jesus Christ. We have this union, this mystical union with Jesus Christ. And the words that you normally see in the New Testament are things like in Him, in Christ, with Him, with Christ, Christ in us, all these things are talking about our union with Jesus Christ. We are so tight. We're like this with him. Jesus talks about I, no one will be able to snatch them out of my hand. You know, it's like this. So we are surrounded with, he's in us, we're in him. It's this tight union, this intimate bond, this relationship that we have with Jesus. That's where the source of energy to overcome sin is. And so Colossians 2, verses 6 and 7, listen to how many times, just in this little passage, where Paul talks about this union with Christ. He says, Therefore, as you receive Jesus Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in Him. Live in Him. Rooted and built up in Him. Okay? So the way that we have, that we grow, is always being connected, rooted in Jesus. Walking in Him. It's about this relationship with Him. And this is what is necessary for, for, for us to grow in, in grace and grow in holiness. All right, so if you put your faith in Jesus, what this means is you're not united to Him. You have this mystical union with Christ, and it's His energy that flows in us that allows us to grow. All right, so in verses, uh, if you look back in Colossians 3, verses 1 to 4, Look how Paul talks about we have been about our union with Christ here. In verse 1, he says, If then you have been raised with Christ. Or verse 3, he says, For you have died. And earlier in, in Colossians 2, he says, If with Christ you died. So we died with Christ. We were raised with Christ. Why? Because when he died, we have this union with him. We're, we're connected to him. And his death, in some way, we were connected. When he was raised from the dead, we were connected to him in his resurrection. Okay? So again, all this is talking about our union with Jesus Christ. In other words, the benefits that Jesus obtained by his death and resurrection and his ascension, and one day he's coming back, Paul talks about all these things, all these things that Jesus has done, we get these benefits because we are in union with him. We are together with him. All right, so... Look at verse 3, Colossians 3, verse 3. Paul says, for you have died. Okay? You have died. And and as I said in verse 1, if then you have been raised with Christ. Okay. Christ died and in him you died. He he was raised and in him we were raised. What does this mean for us? What, What is dying? What does that mean that we've died? Well, dying with Christ means, to, it means that we are split off from our old life. We're separated from our old life. The old, the old man died. That's the way, or the old self died. The old Jeff, when I put my faith in Jesus, when I was born again, the old Jeff died. Okay? What does that mean? That means that like a, a dead corpse, I'm not responsive. I'm not to be responsive anymore to the, to the stimuli or to the things that used to, to, to be attracted to me, the worldly sinful things that used to be attractive to me, 
in the old man, the old self, I died to that. So the old man is dead, so we're not to be responsive to the old sinful things. It's just like uh, if you have a corpse laying out, and no matter how much you entice that corpse with something, that corpse is not responsive. It's dead. So we, when we died with Christ, that means to the, to the sinful things of this world, we are to be dead to those things. Okay? It doesn't mean it happens. Okay? It doesn't mean it happens perfectly. We're never going to get perfect sanctification or perfect holiness in this life. But, the, but in a positional way, because we died with Christ, we can overcome this sin. We can grow. We can change. That's what Paul is saying with this. So our death with Christ cut off any connections we had with the values in the life of this present sinful world. And it means that our resurrection with Jesus also means we're united with him in this new heavenly kingdom of God. The kingdom of, Jesus said this, the kingdom of God is right here. This is the kingdom of God. What does that mean? If, if someone is, is uh, bowing the knee to Jesus, if they put their faith in Christ, then you are in the kingdom of God right now. Now, it's not fully manifest, but you are part of that. And that's what Paul is talking about when we are united with Christ and we were raised with him. We get the benefits of his resurrection and, 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 and uh, get the benefits of dying with Christ. We're dead. The old man, the old self is dead. All right, look at in uh, verse 3 again. Paul says, for you've died and your life is hidden with Christ in God. Hidden with Christ in God. What does that mean? Hidden means that the source of a Christian spiritual life is not obvious or not seen to those around him. That the source of a Christian's life is hidden. It, 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 should, be, it should be baffling to those who don't know Jesus. The source of a Christian's life is hidden. So it really should be that, that non-Christians can't figure us out. This is the way Christians are to live. It should be baffling in the sense of, we should be people who are showing love and kindness even when we are mistreated. And people should go, why do you do that? Why don't you retaliate? Because they are the, the source of our spiritual life is hidden from them. They can't see it because Christ is not here. Christ can't be seen. So they, it should be that, that when we respond, when we live a certain way, this is a calling, this should be convicting to us, when we live in a certain way, it should be mysterious to people around us because our life, the source of our spiritual life, is hidden from them. It's hidden in Christ. Uh, back to Colossians 2, verses 6 and 7. If, if, in verse 7, Paul says again, you're rooted in Christ. So you think about a tree... A tree rooted in the soil is, gets its nutrients and life from the soil, okay? I don't know if you've ever looked at these big, big maple or big oak tree. The tree that you actually see, that's not the entire tree. There's a bit, about half the tree is invisible. It's hidden from you. And that's where the source of life is. It's hidden. Well, that's the way it is for us who are in Christ, our roots are deep in the soil of Jesus Christ. He is the one who provides the nutrients to our life. He's the one that gives us life. But it's hidden to the world, just like a tree. Like a tree, you know, if you see the big tree like this, well, half of it really is below the surface. And if you've ever seen the root structures of some of these big trees, well, that's the way it is for a believer. Where our roots are planted are hidden from the world because they're in Christ. He's the source of life, the source of strength. Okay? So the world can't see Jesus because he's, hit, hit, he's sitting at the right hand of the Father right now. 
Jesus is raised physically. He's in a physical place where the world can't see him. But, but the world should be able to see. You remember how Jesus talks about fruit. So on a tree, fruit, you should be able to see fruit, the fruit of the Spirit, and the way that we live our lives. All right, so Jesus is now in heaven ruling. He's hidden from the world, but he is ruling and reigning. All the nations are at his feet. And one day everyone will see Jesus. Right now our lives are hidden with Christ, but one day Jesus will not be hidden. One day he's coming back, and Paul talks about that as well in verse 4. When Christ, who is your life, appears, okay, then you also will appear with him. And on that day, every eye will see Jesus when he returns. And every knee will bow. And for God's people, we will be raised bodily. Paul talks about this all the time. That's what he's talking about in verse 4. We will appear with him in glory. We will have these glorious bodies. And we'll live on a physical new earth where there is no sin. And where there's only joy and faith and love and happiness. All right? So what is Paul talking about in these first four verses when we're talking about how to change, does it seem strange that he's talking about all these things about Jesus? Well, it's, again, because we're used to rules and laws. And Paul is saying, no, the source of this power to change, the source of this power to put off sin, which we'll talk about next week, and put on holiness, the source is Jesus Christ and our union with him. Okay? So for us in a practical way, growing in holiness means As Paul says, seeking the things that are above where Christ is, setting your minds on things above your mind and your heart. Seeking is what you do with your heart. You desire. I seek after the things that I desire. Our desire should be for Christ. Setting our minds on things above. Setting our minds on Jesus Christ. This is the first step in growing in our union with Jesus, okay? So let's talk about the setting your mind on things above, okay? And seeking the things that are above. When Paul uses this word above and he says not the things on earth, when he's talking about above and not on earth, this was confusing to me when I first started thinking about this because I thought, okay, if I'm tempted in sin, no matter what it is, does that mean I'm supposed to think about Jesus sitting on a throne in heaven? Does that mean I'm supposed to think about heaven anytime I'm tempted in sin. And, and just being candid with you, thinking about Jesus sitting on a throne does, doesn't help me a lot in overcoming sin, right? It's a good thing to think about Christ. Anytime you're thinking about Jesus, that's good. But when Paul said this, when he said, seek the things that are above or set your minds on things above, he's not just talking about thinking about heaven. And that's what I used to think. What Paul is saying here, when he talks about the, the above and the earthly, he's talking about, he, he's not saying don't think about things on the, the planet earth. Okay, you can tell because if you go, um, like verse 12, he says, put on then compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meat. In other words, caring about other people, bearing with one another. Caring with others is a way that we, in one sense, seek the things that are above. Because this is an ethical thing, it's not a physical thing. Does that make sense? In other words, it's the same thing as this. When Jesus said, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, seeking the kingdom of God, seeking his righteousness, means to desire after and to set our minds on the things that God values, the things that are precious to God, the things that, that are... Make up who God is and what his people should be. 
That's what it means to set your minds on or to seek after the things above. What is earthly? Not on things of earth. Earthly means sinful. Earthly means self-centeredness and pride and greed and all these things. So when Paul's saying, seek the things that are above or set your minds on things above, he means think about and set your minds on things that please the Lord, that the Lord values. Seeking the kingdom of God, all that goes together. It's the same thing. And don't set your minds on earthly things. This means don't set your minds on things that are under the dominion of Satan. The values and goals that are in conflict with God. That's what Paul's going to say clearly later on in the passage. In other words, don't set your mind on lust and pride and cruelty, greed, love of money, lack of compassion, self-centeredness. These are all earthly things. And we have a tendency to set our mind on these earthly things rather than seeking the things that are above. The things that are above that we're to seek and and to set our minds on are things like truth, God's word, beauty, love, caring for other people, caring for our neighbor. Okay, The things that display the glory and the beauty of Christ. So in a real way, in a practical way, when we're talking about seeking the things above or setting our minds on things above, think about that. Does uh, seeking the good of others and praying for them, is that from above or earthly? It's from above, right? Caring about other people. Talking with your friends and family about Jesus, is that from above or earthly? See, See what I'm saying? This is above. This is how you seek the things above and set your minds on things above. Taking a meal to someone, is that from above or, or earthly? It's from above. So these are all things that we are to do in the moment of temptation. How, how about frequently telling your, your spouse and kids that you love them? Is that from above or earthly? It's from above. So this is all things that go along with overcoming sin. And this is super practical. So, so these are beautiful and righteous things. These are the things of the kingdom of God. And Paul is saying, set your mind on these things. And this is how we grow closer to Jesus. This is how our union with Christ increases and our, our, the power from him to overcome sin happens. Okay? Look, you cannot, I've said this before, I think, you, you can't overcome sin through willpower by saying no. Let me give you an example from my own life. I had a meeting one time, and every time that this guy, it was a meeting with a guy who was, who was, uh, he was a combative, angry guy. And my response, my sinful response in dealing with this guy before any time we were in a meeting, I would get angry. I would get angry. And, and so preparing for the meeting, I'm praying to the Lord, which is good. I'm saying, Lord, help, not, help me not get angry. Okay? That's good. But instead of, here's what I should have done, seeking the things that are above rather than than anger, what I should have been doing was thinking about this guy and and the good of his soul and his family. I should have been thinking about how I could care for him. I should be thinking about ways to honor God in this situation. I didn't do that. Rather than setting my my mind on heavenly things or things above that God values, here's what I did. In the meeting, I was thinking this. As this guy was saying and being combative and angry, my response was this. Don't get angry. Don't get angry. Don't get angry. Don't get angry. And all of a sudden, I'm Hulk, you know, busting out. I'm so angry now. 
Why? Because I was trying to control my anger, not by setting my mind on things above, but by just sheer willpower. And it does not work. It does not work. Lust is the same way. Uh, you know, if you're combating lust and you just sit there and say, don't look at this or don't think about this or whatever it is, and you sit there and do that, you're trying to combat this with a law or with willpower. It doesn't work. It does not work. It will never work. Okay? And that's what Paul is saying. The source of power to overcome these temptations and this sin is through Jesus. Setting our minds on things above. In lust, it's, it's setting my mind on how much I love my spouse. It's setting my mind on my family. It's setting my mind on caring about other people rather than trying to please myself. In anger, it's setting my mind on, on thinking about how God's in control of everything. And why am I angry? Because I'm not getting my way, really. I'm not getting my way. It's, it's a self-centered. This is why we get angry. Because we want things to go a certain way, and they don't. Well, God, isn't God sovereign over every single second of every day? He is sovereign over that, and I understand that he's in control, and I set my mind on the fact that he's in control, and he has good reasons for what's going on in my life now. And when I set my mind on his goodness and sovereignty, rather than sitting there going, don't get angry. See, that doesn't work. It's setting your mind on things above. This is how, this is how we grow in grace. We default to rules. We default to just mere laws. We default to willpower because that seems the right way to to do things, and it never works. It's all about our union with Jesus Christ. It's about drawing near to him. And as I said, Paul is saying, seek the things that are above. Set your minds on things of Christ. Okay? Thinking about his kingdom, not by willpower. I'm going to close with this. Not by willpower, but by the power of God. By the power of God working through us, through the Spirit, through our union with Jesus Christ. This is always going to bring us closer in our relationship with Jesus. And in that situation, if I'm able to overcome anger by me saying, don't get angry, who gets the glory? I get the glory because my willpower is really awesome. And I'm impressive for having this strong willpower. Who gets the glory if, if I'm able to control my anger because I'm setting my mind on Jesus Christ and the things of the kingdom of God? Who gets the, the glory there? Jesus does because it's his power. It's obviously it's his power working in our lives. He gets the glory. We get the benefit. We grow in holiness. We grow in sanctification, the big word. We grow and we grow in our faith in the Lord because we see that his power is real. And what you will see if you, if you really do Seek the things above rather than setting your minds on earthly things. If you really do this, you will watch God work in your life in a big way. And that, that, that is, to me, one of the, the greatest things about a witness for the truth of Christianity is seeing people change in a huge way through the power of God. That brings glory to Him. And so that's my prayer for our church. That's my prayer for each one of you individually is that we would, rather than trying to battle through rules and laws and willpower, that we would fight the good fight of growing in holiness by seeking Christ, setting our minds on things above, seeking to draw closer and closer to our union with Jesus Christ. And I'll say this, I don't say this every week, but if you've not put your faith in Jesus and you haven't been baptized, you've not in union with Jesus, you need to do that. 
and you need to make that public. So if you want to be baptized, come to me. We will talk about it. We'll talk about what God is doing in your life. But I invite you to do that. I don't do that enough. Coming from a Baptist church, they would do it every week, and you'd stand and wait while the music plays and stuff. We don't do that. But I do need to issue invitations. You need to come to Jesus. Some of you young people need to come to Jesus and publicly get baptized and trust in him and show the world that you're serious about him. Okay? So, again, real change happens by being united with Jesus, his life flowing through us, and as our roots sink deeper and deeper into him, we grow in holiness, and he gets all the glory. Amen. Amen. Let's pray. Father, we love you. Thank you for your word. God, thank you that uh, just for the truth that we can't grow through willpower. We can't grow through our own uh, just trying to do practices or rules or whatever. Thank you for that because that does show that you get all the glory, that you have the power to bring about real change. And God, I pray for people here, anyone here who's discouraged, who thinks that real change in their life is not possible. I pray for folks in here who are struggling with just ongoing sin and they don't think that real change is possible. I pray through your spirit that you'd help them to see that real change is possible and that overcoming sin is possible, not through our willpower, not by us, by us saying no, but through our union with Jesus Christ. And drawing nearer to the Lord Jesus by seeking the things, Lord, that you value and not setting our minds on earthly things. Lord, we love you. Thank you for your word. Thank you for this morning, just for your grace and being here right now. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen.